I'll tell you, this morning, I am really excited, and I'll tell you why. Because um, I got no sleep last night. Um, I was talking, texting back and forth with Carson about 2 in the morning, went to bed, I don't know, midnight or whatever it was, um, and after talking to him, my night was over. Uh, it, it just, not that I didn't fall asleep anymore, but <laughs> the night was just a battle. It was just a battle. And so I woke up this morning and, uh, was really tired and so appreciative because Alex prayed over me. But during worship, well, let me say something then I'll get to this other piece. Every time I am tired, I, I think it's almost a good thing because I don't put any of my own thoughts into really much of anything. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, I'm just kind of here, Lord. Just take it. Take what you want. It's yours. And so this morning as, as I was just praying, and uh, this is during Sunday school hour, as I was praying and, and just uh, spending time with him, he gave me an incredible vision. And I, I know, I, I would, uh, probably more than one, but I know I talked to Joe. Joe had come up to me and just kind of stood in front of me for a few minutes. And, and when I didn't react, he, he, he stepped away. He said, you just looked like you were in some kind of trance. And, and, and I, I want you to know I wasn't sleeping. I was having the most incredible vision, and I want to tell you about it, because this is the most detailed vision I have ever had of our building. <laughs> it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And I, I'm not even sure what brought it on, because I haven't been thinking about the building, but um, I, I just want to walk it through with you, because... It was, it was as if I was standing there. It, it started actually driving up to it. I, it wasn't even just in it, and I, I could describe what I see. It was literally from coming off the road, driving into the parking lot. If you've ever been there, the, this building that God has promised us, when you come around this curve, you kind of curve to the left, and the, the parking lot opens up to the left here, but then... Behind a fence right now, there's this enormous parking lot to the right, which right now is a utility parking lot. But it's actually bigger than the one to the left. And as I'm pulling in, I'll describe the building in a second, but as I'm pulling in, I saw these antique, like, uh, tall black streetlights, almost, Okay. And, and they, they kind of formed the perimeter of when you're driving in and then all throughout the parking lot. But, but it was kind of seamless between the two parking lots. Whereas right now there's, there's a separation, but it, it was seamless between these two parking lots and it didn't look like a utility parking lot over here anymore. And, and the fencing that right now is this tall barbed wire fencing was gone. The fencing between the buildings was a black wrought iron fencing. It was just beautiful. And, and so as, I, as I'm coming in and I'm seeing this, and of course, brand new parking lot, right? Brand new blacktop. And all, all the little trimmings that go along with it. But the grass was beautiful. It was green and beautiful. And as, as I'm looking at the building, again, if you've seen the building, you're going to be able to maybe picture this a little bit better. If you haven't seen the building, let me describe it for you for a second. It's a big box. <laughs> it's a big, huge, humongous box. 176,000 square feet. I mean, this, this building is about the size of like a, a Lowe's or a Home Depot maybe a little bit bigger than that, um, 30-foot high ceilings. But it, it, it is an industrial building. I mean, there's really nothing attractive about it, right? You, it, except it's got this little, almost like this vestibule. If you look at the front of it, it actually looks like a church, doesn't it? It's kind of strange. But, but as, as I'm pulling up, I'm seeing this, and it doesn't look like an industrial building anymore. 
It actually looks like a house, which is really wild to picture a house that big. But let me see if I could describe this to you. As, as I'm pulling up, it's got this huge piece off the front that, that's been built on. And this piece is all stone, and it goes up the height of the, of the, uh, the walls go up the height of the building, 30 feet. Then it's got a roof, a peaked roof on top of that. So this is the highest point of the building. And it's, it's huge, it's wide. There are three separate double doors across the front. And you're walking in, and when you walk in, you walk into this, it's just all open. But before, before I get to that part of it, let me explain around the outside. It's no, on the right hand side of the building, you see all of these, like where, where trucks deliver stuff, you know, those big doors and the big ramps and all that. That's all gone. That's all gone. It's all beautiful parking lot. And the sides of the building, there are four on this side, four on the other side that I could see. I, I didn't go around back, but, but, these huge stone pillars that, that, were, that were square, but they were almost like these were the pillars of the church. And in between the pillars, the first, I don't know how many feet of it, it might have been the first 10 feet or so was stone. And then above that was some, I don't know if it was siding or paneling or something. But then on the top, see these pillars went above the roof line. These pillars went above the 30-foot roof because in between them was what looked like a house roof. Now, the Lord let me look on top because it wasn't a new roof on the building. What it was was literally a slanted piece of house roof. So from the, from the ground, it looked like this peaked roof with these stone pillars it was amazing. It was absolutely astonishing. So I go inside, and, and as I walk inside, and I've never been in the building, even though I've tried to break in, but never <laughs> been there, okay. As you go inside, you're in this first vestibule, okay, this, I don't know, receiving courtyard, or whatever you want to call it, but, but as you walk through it, of course, it's super high, just like the rest of the building. As you walk in and get into the main area, this lobby, best way I could describe it, is a lobby because it's all open. And it's all open from, I, I don't know measurements, but I would guess almost 40 to 50 feet in front of me, and then all the way to the end on the right side of the building, all the way to the end to the left side of the building, and then almost all the way down the building, at least halfway down. This lobby is huge, humongous, all the way to the top, ceilings open. And describing this lobby was incredible. There were actually three cafes in this lobby. Okay? Don't worry about food. You'll be able to get food, right? But you walk in, and there, there was this one cafe all the way to the left. And each cafe had a different theme. I, I'm not going to tell you what the themes are, or, or even the decoration. Because there'll be a team that puts that together. I'll just have some input, that's all. <laughs> but there was this cafe all the way to the left. There was this cafe all the way to the right, which was up to the right there were these doors because in the right corner was Lydia's closet. Okay, But there was a cafe right there in front of Lydia's closet. Then you go all the way down and there's another cafe all the way down on the end. Now, the cool thing is, there were not any walls separating any of this, and yet it felt separated. Let me see if I could describe this. I don't know if I could describe this. There were these floating walls, okay? But they weren't really floating. I mean, it's, it's not like they're going to be floating. But it was, if you can picture old antique windows, okay, that... that are all different sizes. And they were all put together like this puzzle piece. They didn't look like they went together, but then they all went together. And they were placed onto these platforms that had wheels. And these platforms sat between areas, and they set up living rooms all over this place. 
I mean, literally, there were dozens of living rooms all throughout this lobby, lobby where people could just sit down and talk. You ever go into a Starbucks? Everybody fights for those three chairs that are comfortable, <laughs> right? The three couch chairs, everybody wants those, and people get there like early in the morning, sit there all day, so you never get them, right? <laughs> then everybody else gets those, you know, little table and chairs, whatever. This had couches, and this had chairs, and this had, you know, these coffee tables, and, they, and each, each one was different. It wasn't all the same. It was all different. Every, every little living room, if you want to call it that, was different. But every one of them was inviting. And they were all separated by these floating walls of glass, these glass windows that had been put together. And... And so, so as, as, as you go in, and I, I'm just about to the end of this, of what I saw, but, but again, it was all the way up to the top. The, the ceiling was blackened out, all the way up to the top. But if, if you go over to the left, then there was this huge balcony, and upstairs, on the left-hand side, all the way down, were rooms. And I'm, I'm assuming these were like, you know, teaching rooms, small group rooms, whatever. Also back that way were offices. But encompassing this, if you, if you could picture the, this lobby almost to be like an elongated L in a way, not quite a U-shape, but an elongated L. And then right in the middle was the sanctuary. And the doors to the sanctuary were, you know, there were many different sets of doors you could walk in. But you walk in, and then there's like this, I don't know if it, it maybe a noise barrier or something, but you walk in one set, and then you have to walk through another set to be in the sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, it had the same feel. It didn't feel like this big, cold sanctuary. It felt like a living room. Now, the chairs were not like a living room. Okay, people can't go to sleep. But that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. It felt like a house. It felt no different than where we are right now in a house that brings community and closeness. It was extraordinary. It was just extraordinary. And, and I, I won't describe it, but, but another cool, this kind of close to my heart because I've been you know, this this has been kind of my place for 15 years, but I got to see the green room, too. So, praise team, you'll enjoy that. It was really, really awesome. But I wanted to mention that to you because, see, God's plans are good. God's plans are awesome. Now, what I didn't mention was the best part of it. The place was full. It was packed. And you know what? There were so many young people there. <laughs> when I leaned over to Anissa this morning and I said, look at all the young people here this morning. Because that's what I saw in my vision. But times a hundred. I don't know, maybe even times more than that. But it was all those people in those communities over there that don't know the Lord that don't know what family is, that don't know what community is. And this is their first taste of what family is, of what, what God means when he says you are adopted into a family. It was extraordinary. As a matter of fact, it caused me to pray that we need more money, God. You can't just buy the building for us. We need money to renovate because it doesn't look anything like that right now. <laughs> right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, God. And I thank you, Lord, for that vision this morning. I thank you for your promises because your promises are true. And we can believe them. And I do. I long for that. I long for the promise of this building. I long for the promise of reaching this area. 
I long for the promise of reaching those people with the 40,000 people within one mile of that building. God, we ask that you change lives, but not just individual lives. We ask that you change families. We ask that you change communities. God, we pray that you set such a blaze of fire on this area that it cannot be contained, but it can just be enjoyed. We look forward to enjoying you, enjoying your fire, showing these people how much they are loved by you and by us. So God, I pray that you just increase the vision. Increase the the vision. Give it to others. Show them what you have shown me. Show them pieces you haven't shown me. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. See, what's interesting, though, is we have a responsibility. And that kind of goes into what we're talking about this morning in Acts. We have a responsibility not to just receive. Not just to receive the promises God has for us. We have a responsibility to live a life that other people will see Jesus Christ through. Right? When when we get into that community, we have a responsibility that that community doesn't just see some church moving in. Or some building changing. We have a responsibility to be a perfect conduit for Jesus Christ. It's kind of like electrical wire. Okay? What does electrical wire carry? Electricity. Right? You get an old corroded wire, and it's not going to carry the level of electricity, the purity of electricity, the amount of electricity that a brand new, clean wire will carry. And what's interesting to me, (laughs) okay, I don't don't know if this will really fit or not, but I'm going to say it. Electricity, I don't understand it enough, so I probably shouldn't give this example. Joe, you'll have to tell me if I'm wrong on this. Okay. But I I have a real-life example, so I'll use that. I was really stupid in college. Okay? We're going to go back to the college thing. By the way, let me preface this by saying, young people, don't do this. Okay? Don't be stupid like I was. God actually saved my life. And not even joking, he saved my life from my own stupidity, okay? But in college, my freshman year, it, we, we just, we enjoyed practical jokes, okay? And we did stupid stuff. I mean, the whole 55-gallon drum, you know, fill it up three-quarters of the way, lean it against the door and knock, right? They open the door and whoosh, floods the room, okay? Now, each person had to get the other one back more. Okay, so, so then the next one, we, we had these dorm rooms where you can get up into the ceiling, right? And you can actually walk along, because it, it's just these cinder block walls with drop ceiling. So you get up, and you get in top, and you walk to the other rooms. You get to the room you want, you circle the room, you penny lock their doors so they can't get out. Then you open the panels. Has, has everybody, in this one you can do, just don't do it to me. Have you ever taken an aerosol tip? and put it onto a thing of shaving cream. They shoot about 30 feet, and they're really accurate. <laughs> okay, so we'd, we'd circle this thing, and there'd be five or six of us, and, and we'd open it up, and we'd just douse their whole room, and they, they couldn't get up at us, right, unless they got onto a chair, right? We'd be long gone before they'd do that, and they can't get out of their room because they're penny-locked. So they'd have to climb out their window, come around, unlock their door, and whatever. I'll say one more before I say the stupid one, because this one was ingenious. Okay. <laughs> it took me a while to come up with this one, but we all, we all hated to do one thing, and that was vacuum our room, right? Okay, we're a bunch of guys. 
Nobody wants to vacuum the room. Second to that is nobody wants to clean the sink. Right? Okay, so vacuuming the room was a big deal. What made it worse is the vacuum stunk. It, like, really didn't work at all. All it did was, I don't know, it just run. And it didn't have a switch to on off. The only way you turn it on is plug it in. And to turn it off, unplug it. That, that's really dangerous for a college, isn't it? Well, they're a university, so, you know, they're better now. But, so, again, we penny lock the door. But it's when they're asleep. Okay, we penny lock the door. We put the vacuum inside then penny lock the door, and we plug it in in the hallway. But the cool thing is, you unzip the bag so it all just comes out. Oh, so it was awesome. That one I was proud of. Okay, but this one was really stupid. College, you paid for all that? <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, this one was stupid, but it gets back to, I, I did have a point here for a second. What this one was, was I got the bright idea, and this, I don't know why, this was against my roommate, not sure why I was pulling a joke on him, but he probably pulled a joke on me. He went to go take a shower, and I thought, well, I'll get him back, fine. So I took an extension cord, I cut off the end, I frayed the end, I, 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 I exposed the wires, and I hooked it up to the, oh my God. <laughs> forgive me, Lord, <laughs> forgive me, Lord, I hooked it up to the door handle. Okay, that's a metal door handle. Okay, and then I plugged it in. And then I waited. And I heard this, Ouch! What is that? And I'm so glad he didn't grab. Praise God. Because I wouldn't be here right now. I would be somewhere else. He didn't grab, it just, it just hurt him. Okay? Well, that's, that's what I think I called my dad and told him about this, and, and that wasn't a good conversation <laughs> at all. However, then we, did, then we took that stupidity, and we, you know, of course, we're all laughing about it. All of us that were in the room waiting for him to come back, who is soaking wet from the shower, grabbing onto, you know, sorry, Lord. <laughs> so we're all laughing about this, and we're thinking, oh, you know, this is kind of cool. Okay, so... And this will get to my point. I promise I have a point. I don't even know what caused us to do this. But we had, remember we had the two frayed ends exposed. Okay, so I would grab one end. Another guy would grab another end. We would hold hands with another guy, hold hands with another guy, hold hands with another guy. There were about eight of us until finally the last two would hold hands together. It was, it was wild. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know yet what the falling of the Holy Spirit is going to be, but i got to believe that he was giving me that experience to know what it's going to feel like a little bit. Because you feel, you feel like this fire goes up one arm, through your heart, and then over the other one. But here's the thing. As long as we were holding hands, we were okay. Isn't that crazy? And, and it would happen. Now, what I found out is it required a lot of us. Because, and, and it, it just required the Lord, but if there were less people, like if I had grabbed both sides, that would not have been a pretty sight. Okay? But what happened is... You could feel this power running through you in one side and receiving into the other. It, it's, it was like doing this circle thing. And again, I don't know that much about electricity, except I know what I felt. What, what's the point that I'm trying to make? Is that we had to be unified in this, in this experience, and there were enough of us to where that did not hurt us. Okay, it required a group. Do you know what, what Satan has done to America, what Satan has done even to this area, will not be changed by one person. 
And the power of God will not just be displayed in one person to carry out his will. That's only been done one time. And that was with Jesus Christ. See, even in the beginning church, there were a group of 120 people who grabbed on to each other, grabbed on to the Holy Spirit, and he flowed through them in power. I thought it was interesting how I'm holding on to these well, the, the wire in one hand and a, and a hand in another. And this passed through my heart. Now, my understanding, at least the limited amount that I have right now, is that could have changed my heartbeat, right? Could have stopped my heartbeat, <laughs> right? But it didn't. I don't know if the pulse or whatever ran in synchronicity, but I do know how it works for the Holy Spirit. I know with the Holy Spirit, He wants to bring our heartbeat into the same rhythm as the Father. And how He works through us individually is different than how He works in us as a group. So you have an opportunity you have an opportunity to work as a family and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and literally God move like he did 2,000 years ago. It's what he's waiting for. He's been waiting for that because his bride is so factioned off. His bride is so, so separated out to where they don't work together. And we've, we've been told this before, God has told us this before, that he is raising up a remnant, which is also what he talks about in his word. Raising up a remnant that will let him do it, that will not only work with him, but will work together. Will grab hold of each other's hands as they hold on to the power of God. And just say, do what you want. Do what you want, Lord. And it's an extraordinary thing when you allow the power of God to overcome you. When you just say yes to him, no matter what. But it's an even more powerful thing when a group together says the same thing. When a group together says yes, I take the next person's hand. And we form this bond of unity together. That's what they had in the early church. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to finish up chapter 4 this morning and then go into 5. And I'm just going to start reading at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Replace that soul with mind. One heart and one mind. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were given... Now, by the way, I want to I make a comment there. Because you read this and you assume that everybody's saying, well, it, all my stuff is the church's. All my stuff is the apostles. All my stuff is, is for you to do whatever you want with, Lord, you know, the church. That's not what's going on here. It was the entire group of people saying, Lord, what's mine is yours, because it already was. They had everything in common because the Lord had done it that way. No one said the things that belonged to him was his own. It was the Lord's to do with what he wanted. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, which is a far cry from how our country is today. You know, it saddens me, the problems that we have with homeless. Because that's not the state's responsibility. 
That's not the federal government's responsibility. That is the church's responsibility. And they have not held up their end. Why? Because they're worried about their own. They're worried about their own four walls. The church is not operating as a church. They're operating as a separate, categorized piece of the church. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is something he was led to do, and he was obedient. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then a lesson came, right? But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. I want to point something out here. The gifting that was going on here was word of knowledge. See, how do you think Peter knew what Ananias had done? It's because the Lord told him. The Lord was not going to allow this movement to be stopped for the sake of somebody falling to what Satan wanted to do. While it remained unsold, this is Peter speaking, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. See, he's saying, it was in your control. What, what makes you feel like you have to come and lie and then hold back? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I want to make something very clear this morning. This wasn't about the fact that they needed to give Everything of that land. That's not what Peter said. What is going on here was the lying to the Holy Spirit. Trying to set themselves up as part of what is going on there. Knowing full well that it was all contrived. Because their hearts were not there. See... Peter didn't say, you will now die because your heart was not there. Peter said, you will now breathe your last because of what you told God. Because you are trying to lie to God, not to us. 
See, I can imagine Peter's thought process. Because if you've known me for any length of time at all, you know it is my thought process. I don't care what people give in this church. It's not my responsibility. You notice we don't take offerings. That's by design. God told me not to. It's the last thing that I have to worry about. Why? Because he promised. He promised to provide everything. What's amazing is he has done just that. This is a giving church. This is a greater percentage-wise giving church than any church I've been a part of. And yet, I don't think I've ever had a single sermon on it that the Lord's given me to tell. I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I have. And by the way, this isn't one either. See, because that's up to the Lord. That's not up to me. And the Lord is the one that convicts hearts. So the thing that upset Peter so much that deserved death is that Ananias and Sapphira were literally bringing fraud into that body of believers. And it wasn't by accident, because that can happen, and that, that, that's not the same thing. It is intentionally doing something that you know to be wrong when you are dedicating it to the Lord. Now I want to mention this was a different time too. Why is it that, I mean, the bride is filled nowadays with people that lie to the Lord. You see pastors all over the, all over the world. I've, I've seen in, in one of the most corrupt areas for pastors in the world is Nigeria. And for my Nigerian friends online, they're going to agree with that. Now, I'm not saying all pastors. I'm talking about those that make money their God. But they do it in the name of the Lord. And it's not just Nigeria. That happens all over the world. That happens in America. Maybe not in the same way that we have seen, but it happens nonetheless. When provision becomes the most important thing, when what we have we cannot lose, so we've got to do this. We've got to put this marketing plan together. We've got to put that program together because we need to bring in more so we can accomplish God's work. I'm sorry, I, I don't know about you. Do you see a problem with that? I do. In fact, that's much of what started this church. Because where we were before was stuck in that rut. I was on the vision team where we were before, and I'm not here to disparage any church. But I'm sorry that is not God's will. See, God wants to be on His shoulders that which He places on His shoulders. We're not to take that off. And that's exactly what was happening here. You have this unified body, and then you have this couple come in, perhaps for status purposes, I don't know. I mean, clearly their heart was not where their mouths were. And they brought fraud into this unit. And God's consequences were harsh. Now, it might be easier, easy for you to say, well, yeah, that's how God is in the Old Testament. Look down at your Bible. This is New Testament stuff. This is the beginning of the church. This is no different than it is right here, right now, except for the fact that the bride is so segregated and so separated that you do not have that unifying spirit. But God is doing that in us. I'm not saying just us, because I think he's doing that in, in pockets all over the world. But he's doing that in us. And I felt 
this morning that this is a warning. It's a warning not to just go with the flow of something because you want to be a part of something. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that that's that's not who we are. We are a family. We are a family that moves together. But see, a family that comes together in unity to get the purposes of God done, they must have pure intentions. Now, now, by the way, I want you to understand something. I don't believe God is bringing this message because that's happening here. Not at all. I see just the opposite. I see... I, Excuse me. I see the purity of what God's doing in relationship and unity here. But this is something that is required to be aware of. Because as we start to grow, as the Holy Spirit comes and He just brings this increase that He has promised, what we learn here, what we know here, has to be taught, has to be this, this it's, it's really a culture, right? This culture of who we are has to begin to permeate everyone else that comes in. That's what happens when, when a small church gets big. And they do it, and they build these programs and everything else. The purity of culture can change. It hasn't always changed. There, there are many big churches that it did not change in. Brooklyn Tabernacle is a good example. See, because they were not ever about getting big. They were about being on their knees for the Lord, and the Lord just do whatever he wants. Does that sound familiar? But the increase does come. And when the increase comes, the unity that is built here has to be taught and has to be shared. So there's a culture that is built. And that culture has to be sold out for God 100%. And and I, I know it's a tough thing, especially, you know, I don't know. It's probably different than what you've been taught. But to be sold out for Jesus Christ means he has everything. It means he has your thoughts. It means that when, when you're, even in here, as you're listening to this message, where's your mind? Where's your mind right now? Is it asleep? I guarantee you, you probably got more sleep than me. Are you thinking about something else? Are you thinking about what you're going to order for lunch? First of all, if you're dwelling on that, that shouldn't take that long. <laughs> but where's your mind? Not just this morning, but where, where's your mind throughout the day when God's trying to get your attention? When he's saying, spend some time with me, no matter what you're doing, spend time with me, talk to me. Where's your mind? Is our mind so wrapped up in what we're doing, so wrapped up in either what is coming down the road that we're afraid of, whether it be bills or, or whatever it may be, a big test, or, or is our mind just somewhere else because where we are isn't so much fun, so I'm going to let my mind be over here so my mind can have fun. Now, where's our mind? I'm going to tell you that when your mind is on Jesus Christ all the time, that is fun. Trust me. Start including him in your fun. You know, sometimes I do practical jokes, especially creation. <laughs> you don't think God enjoys that? I think he laughs harder than I do. I really do. And and because we're far far enough away from creation right now, I can state it. Nobody's ever got me back. Just saying. 
Yeah, that's a challenge. However, we are like, you know, 10 months away, and by that time, y'all forget it. You do every year. We're going on like eight or nine years now. Nobody's ever got me. Yes, we will play this back 10 months from now. But God, it's fun. You know, God wants to be involved in everything that you're doing. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean by involving God, it, it's, it's just like this drag or this letdown. Man, hang out with our young people for any length of time and you're going to see that's not the case. We can be as stupid as anybody else. We can be as weird as anybody else. And the cool thing is we include God, right? I mean, we let Shannon be a part of us. I don't even have to explain anything else. No, see, God is so awesome. Why don't you want to include him in everything? Don't compartmentalize God. Because what he's building here is this family. He's building a family that will include him in everything. And by the way, there is no qualification for that. Please understand, there's no qualification for being a part of this family outside of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. There's none. You don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be able to do this or that. You don't have to be of some financial wealth, clearly. You don't have to be able to bring something to the table. You don't have to have some knowledge of how to do something so that way you can fit in to this family. There's only one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the common denominator, because we're all different. Y'all are weird, and I'm cool. That's just different. And from your perspective, same thing for everybody else. Right? We're, we're all different. But do you know it's supposed to be that way? It's on purpose that way. Because we all play a piece. We all are a piece of a puzzle. But what makes that puzzle work? Unity. It's the pieces have to fit together. He already created them to fit together. But the only way we can allow them to fit together is the purity of him. The purity of letting him do it. The purity of keeping our mind stayed on him. Focused on him. And it doesn't mean you forget about everything else. You just include it. You know, that's a transition you go through when you get married. When you get married, before you're married, you're used to doing everything on your own. And, you know, well, I kind of need a date this week, so I'll include somebody else this week. Right? But you're used to doing stuff on your own. You, you have this, this way of being able to make your own decisions. But when you get married, that all changes. Right? Get, get ready for that. That all changes. Now she makes all the decisions forever. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You'll let her think that. But you know. No, but in, in reality, when you get married, it changes when you get married, you think of another person. Why? Because they're right there with you. Now all of a sudden, you don't go out on a date by yourself. You go out on a date with your spouse. You, you start to develop these things that you like together. It does not take away the things that you like separate. Alexa and I praise God for her. I can't remember. I think it was our seventh anniversary, maybe sixth, when, when I took you to Vail. I think it was our seventh. See, you just get smart about things, right? I took her to Vail, and we had this amazing time, but then I, I kind of tucked in there a Denver Bronco football game. <laughs> okay, that was the highlight for me. It was awesome. But you know what was awesome about it? She doesn't even like football. And she was all in. She was all in for me. She even prayed this morning for me and asked that the Lord would allow the Broncos to win today. Just to encourage me. All right, that's a wife right there. That is a wife. 
Are there any cowboy fans here today? Praise God. Because the, the sermon would just have taken a different turn. But see, you learn to do things together. You learn to do things together as you build relationship. It's no different with Jesus Christ. Only difference, I suppose, is you don't have to pay for him. I know, that was probably a bad joke. He technically pays for you. But you include him in everything. Include him when you're happy and joyful. Include him when you're sad. I think it, it tends to be an automatic thing when we're down, we go to him. That really stinks for him. He gets to be there in the down parts, but it's like, where are you in the joy? Include him in everything. That's what we do, even as a team, as a unit, we include him in everything. So when we do that, we have this one continuous thing that is the same in all of us. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what brings unity to us. Not because we're good friends. Not because we're all similar and have similar likes. Right? We're not, we're not some affinity group that likes a certain thing, and that's why we're all unified. Well, I suppose in a way we are. <laughs> we're unified because we all give our lives to Jesus Christ. And not just our hearts in salvation, but we give him our lives. We take him into everything that we do. Now, I'll tell you what happens when you start doing that. You know, many of you might be thinking can't take him into everything because there's some things I wouldn't be proud of. There are some areas I couldn't include him in because it would stop it. Why are we so afraid of that? Why are we so afraid of, of stopping the very thing that binds us? See, when sin binds us, Jesus and the Holy Spirit cannot do what he wants to do. So when we start to include him in all parts of our lives, the authorities that we've given in our lives to the enemy begins to chip away. Jesus says, why don't you give that over to me instead? Give it over to me and see what I do with it. It's going to surprise you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves everything about you. He created you. He knew you before you were ever born. Long before anybody was ever created, he knew you. He knew every hair on your head. I don't even know my hairs on my head, let alone somebody else's. But he knows them all. He knows what makes me tick. He knows what makes me joyful. He knows what makes me sad. He just wants us to include him in everything. And when we do that, amazing things happen. Especially as we do that as a group. As we do that as a unified body here, amazing things will happen. Let's keep reading in verse 12. You've got this unified group. This unified group where God purged the sin from. And then this happened, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It doesn't take a nation. In fact, 
It didn't even take, I want you to notice this, it didn't even take all the people that had come to know the Lord. Right By this time, we know that at least 3,000 and many many more, because many were being added each day, had come to know the Lord, had come to be a part of this group, of this bride. But yet, it said here, in verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This is what's going to happen to the bride. This is Revelation 3.9. That the world will see the church as something that God has blessed. And see, when there is sin in the world, without that cleansing of sin, they will not dare join. They'll honor, but they won't join. Don't ask me why. It seems pretty stupid. But bottom line is they will see the purity and the unity in the bride. Does the world see the purity and unity in us? In this group right here, does the world, do your friends see a purity and a unity in Ignition Church? God wants them to. I feel we have a unity that is being built. But each one needs to give everything to the Lord. Include Him in everything. Every part of your life. Because you have a role to play in this church. You have a role to play in His bride. And it's time that we step forward into that role. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you, God. Lord, I thank you so much for what you have done, what you have spoken. I thank you so much, Lord, even for the vision that you gave this morning. And I ask, Father, that you continue to work on us as a family, giving everything to you, giving you our yes in every way, Father, as the representative of Ignition, I say that we want your will to be done in Ignition as you've planned it in heaven. Not just your permissive will, Father, but we want to hit the bullseye. We want your perfect will. And we give you permission to do with us, with Ignition, whatever you need to do for that to be. I give you permission, Father, to do whatever you need to do in me. Reveal to me anything that I do that you want me to do differently. I do this as an example that others will do the same. Because, Father, we want to be pure before you. We want to be a group developed that truly are your hands and your feet. Not just with our mouths, but with our hearts. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded of a verse in um, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 12, that I've claimed through the years because this whole concept of not always knowing if we're, if we're doing what's right and not always knowing if our motive is right. You know, God's the one that is the mirror for our Christian walk. And 1 Corinthians um, 10, verse 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand, take he lest he fall. And if you read in that chapter, which I encourage you to read that chapter, you know, it talks about our lives. Sometimes we think we stand, even in ministry, you can think that you're doing what's right. And 
you, you need to take heed of the truth of the word because you don't always know if, if you are walking in a way that's going to keep you from stumbling. See, we reason the Christian life with our own understanding a lot. And um, that can get us into trouble, even in the purest of motives to be in ministry. You know, he, it, it just grieves my heart when we speak of other churches that um, have, ha- have started off well. And for whatever reason, for whatever pressures that came their way, for whatever fears that they wouldn't have enough money, enough people, enough something, they began to kind of pull back and, and think that this is the way to approach it or think that this is the way to approach it rather than just always keeping God in the driver's seat. It sounds so simplistic. Who would start a church and say, no, I don't want God in the driver's seat? Nobody would do that. But somewhere along the line, it happens all the time. Just like someone... Uh, you know, who loves the Lord would never intend to be caught in the snare and trap of the enemy. So how does that happen? You don't know. You can think you'll stand unless we take heed of the word. And the other thing that hit me just even as Greg was talking about, you know, we want all this victory. We want all this, uh, this power. We want everything that the Church of Acts, I mean, regular wonders and miracles. And oftentimes, you know... It seems oversimplified, but I just find it still always boils down to this. You're either believing and accepting the lies of the enemy or the truth of the word. I just want to encourage you, man, another chapter just to read this week is John 8. Man, read John 8 because it just shows you that the freedom in Christ is truth, but that Satan is the epitome of lie, of just lie. He is a liar and the father of it, it says. And um, Shannon brought out a, a great point as we were kind of having this discussion in the ladies' class. You know, so much of our falling away from the Lord is rooted in those lies. Most people that we don't even understand, and this, you know, we tend to be harshly critical sometimes of people. Why did they do that? Oh, I can't believe that pastor fell away and did that or had that affair or did that. You know, everything that we get pulled away from the Lord in is somewhere rooted in deception. And we have to be so careful that we are not deceived. And the only way is to fall on your face before the Lord daily. There's a hill song, uh, no, a Jesus culture song. It's called I Surrender. And the beginning of the song starts with, Here I am, down on my knees again. You know, giving you my all. I surrender. We have to come to the Lord with a perpetual surrender. Otherwise, we will find ourselves in that verse that thinketh we stand. Ooh, take heed lest you fall. And pride, self-sufficiency goes before a fall. So we have to be so careful with that because I I just, in order for us to keep the purity of what God is building here, when we're in only one sect of the living room in the massive lobby in our building, is for us to stay the course with him Yes. Not stay the course with this particular group affinity that we're building here and everybody's kind of going to be in sync and we're just going to ebb and flow and it's going to be great. When you start thinking that way, you actually get a little bit threatened with growth. You start going, oh, okay, there's new people. Hi. But you kind of, we were in our own little sink here and you're new. So, see ya. <laughs> it's a weird, it's a subliminal. It's a subliminal thing. But people that like small churches and smallness get weirded out when there's growth. Because they're not looking at the right, the right lens. We've got to keep the purity with the Lord is what's going to keep us small, inclusive, community closeness, even with thousands of people. Yes. Because, and that's what the Lord, you know, he, he isn't just, like he said, there's thousands of people. It's not going to be changed through just one person. But, but um, continue to seek the Lord and never, and, and I know you don't, but I, I catch myself doing the same thing. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how much of the word you know. Always go to God with just, here I am, Lord, man. Tell me something I don't know because it's a lot that I don't know. I need you to just fill me. Let me just empty out the gunk and give me something because today I don't feel right. Today it doesn't seem right. And I'm discouraged and I'm this and I'm that. And guaranteed anything that is not of the goodness and the love and the peace and the joy of God, there's deception. Something has deceived you into thinking that you're not walking in victory. If you're not walking in victory... Spiritually speaking, no matter what's coming against you humanly, if you're not walking in victory, spiritually speaking, you've, fall, you've, you've fallen into believing some lie somewhere. Because the truth always brings freedom. 
always, every time, without fail. It's just us. We've got to participate in the truth. Okay? And uh, so I just hope that you'll listen to this message again and again and skip over the crazy things he did in college. <laughs> God has skipped over it. Those things are in the deepest depths of the sea. Praise the Lord. Anyway, I met him after all that. That was another thing. God was working in his heart before he met me so that he wouldn't have to be a, that crazy person that I had to meet. <laughs> no, I always, actually, the truth is I really always did wish I knew him as a little kid because I thought he'd, he'd have been a really good friend too. A friend down the block kind of kid. Because we, we really have, our friendship is as precious as anything else. And, um, and so that whole thing, you know, I always, I said, man, if, if God can use anything in our marriage to show people that marriage is not some, okay, yeah, now you got to include everybody, ball and chain, ball and chain. You know, it's not that. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really great thing. I mean, we do. We have, a, if I need a date, I got a date. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, I have a date. <laughs> and I want to make a couple of announcements. Um, one that is for the children's uh, workers and teachers, and then um, Jennifer and I, as the parents.